0: If you'd like to follow along with me i 'm going to read matthew twenty eight one through ten in the New Living Translation, starting verse twenty eight early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. Suddenly, there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and sat on it. His face shone like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him, and they fell into a dead faint. Then the angel spoke to the women. Don't be afraid, he said. I know you're looking for Jesus, who is crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead, just as he said would happen. Come, see where his body was lying. And now, go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, and he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Remember what I have told you. The women ran quickly from the tomb. They were very frightened, but also filled with great joy, and they rushed to give the disciples the angel's message. And as they went, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they ran to him, grasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers to leave for Galilee, and they will see me there. The word of the
1: Amen. Thanks Jenna for reading the scripture this morning. Good morning everyone. I'm glad you're here today on uh, Easter Sunday. Uh, It's quite a day, isn't it? Plus April Fool's Day. Anybody played any tricks on you today? It's my mom's birthday today. She's in heaven, but it's my mom's birthday and I think, oh poor mom, how many tricks her boys played on her (laughs) those years, April Fool's, and we could get away with it because it was April Fool's Day. But most of all, it's Easter Sunday, and uh, how interesting that it's April Fool's Day. Oh, there's another person in our congregation that has a birthday on April Fool's, and I see her, Kara Markeen, so when you see her later, just uh, wish her a happy birthday, and it'll probably be past 12, so don't play any tricks on her, okay? Um... But how interesting that it is April Fool's morning and Easter Sunday. Some, I think, who would try to debunk the resurrection would say, isn't this interesting? April Fool's and the resurrection, how interesting. But I'm reminded of the words of Jim Elliott, who said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He was the martyred uh, missionary to the Aka Indians in Ecuador. You're not a fool if you give your life to Christ. You're not a fool if you give your life away to serve him. You can't keep your life because it only lasts for a little while. So how important it is to give your life to God in order to gain something that you cannot lose, namely your forever relationship with him. Amen? It's a day of incredible joy around the world inconceivable joy, astonishing joy. Christmas is important. Uh, it probably gets a higher rating than Easter, uh, we, because we always know when Christmas is, right? It's December 25th, target the date, but Easter keeps changing on us. Might be March, might be uh, April, and where does spring break, fall in all of this, and we hide a few Easter eggs on Easter weekend. Maybe you've uh, boiled uh, A dozen eggs for your kids to to paint. I know Grandma was doing that for her uh, grandkids this year. And then we hide the chocolate ones. But if you're like us, our backyard is filled with snow. So we're not going to be hiding them outside. I know that for sure. But it's fun. And uh, Easter dinner. But usually by about 3 o'clock in the afternoon on Easter... Uh, Sunday, uh, we look in the rearview mirror and say, well, that's it, Easter's over, it's gone for another 12 months, and that's what it's been, it's been Easter, and it's been a time for family. But Easter, oh my, what a day this is. Easter, uh, as Brad prayed, is a world changer day, it is. It changes everything. It split history into A.D. and B.C. When we say 2018, where is our reference point? Well, the reference point, of course, is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, You may know that when Jesus was on this earth, the number of true followers that he had wasn't all that enormous, really, 120 people. Oh, there were lots of people who, 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 who came to him in a crowd and so, but those who were devoted to him, only about 120 people, those that were in the upper room waiting for the Spirit to come. But today... Around the world, and growing well over two, two billion people, two and a half billion people who follow him, who would say, "I believe he is who he claimed to be. I believe he 's the Son of God, I believe he died on a cross, I believe he rose again from the from the dead, I believe he 's coming back so that 's amazing, and yet it all references itself in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The reality of the resurrection broke through into the hearts of these 12 guys who followed Jesus, and from there it began to spread. Started in the Middle East, and then the message went out to Asia, Asia Minor, and then it went over to Europe, and then it went across the ocean to North America and all around the world. One of the things I love to talk about at a graveside service is the fact that we're standing on resurrection ground and one day all of these graves and when you're in a cemetery you can kind of point to all of these graves are going to open and I could just see some of the heads turn to me as I say that like are you serious yeah I couldn't be more serious I almost try to take a step away from where I'm standing in case it could happen right now and I'm smiling and but these graves are going to open this is resurrection territory And Jesus was resurrected. He came out of the grave. But so will all who have died. These graves are all going to open up one day. What a sight that's going to be. We're standing on resurrection ground. Well, I'm going to direct us this morning to 1 Corinthians 15. Although we read the Matthew 28 uh, uh, passage, uh, I'm going to direct us to uh, 1 Corinthians 15 because I think this is one of the Great chapters of the Bible. Uh, It's written by the Apostle Paul uh, because he no doubt was feeling that the Corinthian church had some drift uh, happening in their appreciation of the resurrection of Christ. So he took the opportunity to devote a lengthy chapter, and indeed it is, to the impact of the resurrection so they would understand that they were dealing with the most essential truth of their faith. They were beginning to say, kind of under their breath, I don't know about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I don't think it's all that important, and I think we can lower the flag on the resurrection. So Paul shoots very straight, and he lays it out for them how important it is to think correctly about the resurrection. <clears throat> so I'd just like you to watch him this morning as he approaches the issue about the resurrection. First of all, uh, the impact of no resurrection. No resurrection the impact of no resurrection. And and here's what Paul says. It's in the 12th verse of 1 Corinthians 15. And he's really asking a question. But tell me this, since we preach that Christ rose from the dead, why are some of you saying there will be no resurrection of the dead? Do you realize what you're saying? And then Paul just plays out some scenarios that follows from their thinking. First of all in verse 13, for if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. So the first implication is major, that then Christ has not been raised. If there's no resurrection of the dead, then it follows that Christ has not been raised. And if that's true, then every worship service held through the centuries of time was all very human organized And there was no presence of Christ in those meetings. And every song that we've ever sung and every prayer that we've ever prayed and every sermon that we've ever preached, all of it for naught, every last bit of it, a waste of everybody's time for you and for me. Man, I've spent a lifetime in this, and it's for nothing. Secondly, our faith is useless. It's just a collection of useless teachings. It makes us religious and self-righteous. But in reality, there's no power. There's no purpose. It's just going through all the motions. And in the end, it just all blows away. And then thirdly, Paul says, and we apostles would all be lying about God. For we've said that God raised Christ from the grave, but that can't be true if there's no resurrection of the dead. I mean, we've just been lying to our families. We've been lying to our friends all these years. We've been leading people in a direction that's not what we're making it out to be. We've been giving them the Kool Aid to drink, and, and it's not doing them any good. Now it gets even more challenging. Fourthly, verse 17 And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless. And you're still guilty of your sins. Because we've been living under the assumption that our hearts are right with God. That we're forgiven. That we're cleansed. And in good standing with our Savior. Only to discover that everything we've ever done. Or everything we've ever thought. Or everything that's sinful about our lives. Is still on the record. We've not done anything to clear the record. And there is no grace. We will stand before a holy God and our sin will be right in front of us looking at us in the face. How can we ever meet a holy God? We're still in our sins. And then fifth, Paul says in verse 15, in that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. My parents are lost. My friends are lost. All the people that I have known over the years who have prayed to invite Christ to come into their lives. and Some of whom I I thought went home to be with the Lord. Well, they really didn't go to heaven. Your loved ones aren't there. You're not going to be there. And none of us are going to heaven. Even though we thought we believed in Christ, we are lost because Christ is also dead. Oh, is this a bad sermon. Wow. You kind of feel the hope going out of the door. Like just air coming out of the tire. It just sucks the hope right out of it. I just feel it as I, I say it. I, I, I'm almost apologizing my spirit for saying it. Whoa, the implications of no resurrection. But I'm not finished. Finally, verse 19. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. Man, you could have at least had one rip-roaring time as you journeyed through this life. You treated your neighbor with such great respect and you were honest and circumspect and respectful and you were cautious with your money and you gave large amounts of money to the, God's work and you hoped in Christ, but he was dead and he couldn't do a thing for you. You missed so much. Because you took Christ seriously, and here you are at the end of your life, and you've got nothing, nothing, nothing. Where did the hope go? We're more to be pitied than anyone in the world. The poet, uh, singer, songwriter, you know him, Leonard Cohen, died in November 2016. For many people, Cohen became famous uh, with his moving and biblically infused song, Broken Hallelujah. Especially that last line that says, I'll stand before the Lord of Song with nothing on my tongue but hallelujah. And though he would often protest in his own words that he wasn't a religious man, he just seemed unable to sing or talk very much without bringing up God. He primarily identified himself as a Jew. He was drawn, although, to the work and to the person of Christ. He wrote the song, The Captain, and in that song, he said, What I meant to say in this song is that there are many things about Christianity that attract me. The figure of Jesus is extremely attractive. It's difficult not to fall in love with that person. After praising Christ's uh, emphasis on resurrection and rebirth, he concluded, when we have this notion that there is no mechanism for resurrection, there is no redemption for sin, then we are forced to embrace evil and we get the kind of activity like genocide. Leonard Cohen. Precisely the point that Paul is making. No resurrection, no hope. Oh, man. What a gloomy Easter Sunday, friends. Aren't you glad you came? A day of inconceivable joy. The impact of no resurrection. Let's talk about the impact of the resurrection. Do you know what changes it all? The next verse Verse 20, the word but. But, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. What a great verse. But, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first fruits in some translations. He is the first of a great harvest. Hey, friends in Corinth, hey, friends around the world, the truth is Christ has been raised, that he is the first fruits of the harvest. It's an agricultural term. In the early church, the first fruit of the crop was given to the Lord. It was brought to the temple. So Paul says, Christ is the first fruits of the resurrection. He's the the first one that rose from the dead. He's the first fruits of the harvest. But there is a great harvest yet to come. There's a great harvest yet to come. Christ rose but the resurrection will continue. There's a great harvest coming and we will be resurrected one day. Wow. I feel the energy coming back into the room. This is good news. Paul really wanted these people to get it. It's not just the birth of Christ. It's not just the death of Christ. All that is so important, but everything, 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 everything hinges on the resurrection. Ours is a special faith with our leader Jesus Christ, who did conquer the grave. But in fact, Christ has been raised. Paul would argue that all the other religious leaders lie in tombs with occupied signs posted to the door, but the tomb of Christ is empty. So Paul says, make sure you value the resurrection. Because it has such wide-ranging implications for all of our lives, it's not abstract philosophy. It's the stuff of everyday life, and it's the hope of our, of our forever. I love the little story of Bill Heibel's that he tells about his grandson. And he said uh, yesterday, my five-year-old grandson, his name is Mac, was eager to tell me a story that his preschool teacher had told him and he had eight uh, little plastic eggs. You know, you see them in a miniature egg carton. And the eggs all had something in them. Our, our children's ministry uh, teachers and leaders, they love to use this illustration because it gets the point across so well. And uh, so, so little Mac is trying to tell his grandpa the story of Good Friday and Easter. And uh, finally, Bill said, we sat down at the table and Mac said he was going to tell me the story. And he opened up the first plastic egg and there was a little piece of bread in it. And little Mac said, Jesus was at a supper and Jesus said, this is my body, which is broken for you. And I'm like, wow, Mac. Pretty good for a five-year-old. And then he opened the second egg <clears throat> and inside was a little plastic ring that represented the crown of thorns. Papa, they put a crown of thorns on Jesus' head. They pushed it right into his head and it hurt. And then he opened a couple more eggs that had little things in them. And then he, he opened one that had a nail inside. And he took out the nail and he said, They nailed Jesus' hands and feet to a cross. And he poked me. He said, Papa, they were much bigger nails than this. But they had to get little ones so that they would fit in the little plastic eggs here. And he moved on and he said, after Jesus died and he opened the second to the last egg. Inside was a little piece of white fabric. They wrapped him in a cloth, and they put him in a tomb. Just testing him, I asked, what's a tomb? Mac replied, it's where they put dead people. He grabbed the last egg, and he had a sparkle in his eye, and he said, this last one represents the tomb where they put Jesus. You know what's in it, Papa? He said, I felt like I was getting set up on this one. Mac opened the egg and gleefully said, there's nothing in it because the tomb is empty. Papa, the tomb is empty. I didn't have the heart to tell him that I knew the end of the story, that this is the truth of the resurrection. But my little grandson was telling me in his words, the tomb is empty. Mark and I had the uh, privilege of leading a communion service Uh, just outside the empty tomb in old Jerusalem uh, years ago. It's very moving. It's very moving to be right there and to talk about the resurrection and to see the empty tomb right in front of us. And we took that piece of bread and were reminded of his broken body. And we took the cup and we thought about the blood that was spilled. And we, we read that he was buried just like Paul says, Christ died for our sins. He was buried, and he was raised from the dead on the third day. The reason he was buried is because he was dead. You don't bury someone who's living. So the gospel writers and Paul wanted us to know that he was dead, not in a coma, but he was dead. They rolled a stone in front of the tomb to protect the body. He was dead, he was buried, and he was raised. And Paul says, if you don't believe me that he was raised, well, then you should know that he appeared to Peter and that he, he was seen by the 12 apostles or the 12 disciples all at one time. And then he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time. Most of those people are still alive. So he's inferring you could go and talk to them if you wanted to. And if you say, well, I think they just kind of all imagined it or had some kind of apparition, it would be incredible to think that all 500 had the same apparition. So you should talk to them. Most of them are still alive. And then he was seen by James. And uh, Paul added, last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him, for I am the least of all of the apostles. I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle after the way I persecuted God's church. There were indeed many witnesses to affirm the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So the impact of the resurrection. Finally, the impact or the implications of the resurrection. The implications. What are the the implications of the resurrection? Remember all those gloomy consequences that Paul set forth at the beginning if there was no resurrection. The, the first one was, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then all of our meeting together to worship him is a waste of time. But in reality, we have been experiencing the risen presence of Christ all through these years, all through the generations. We have known the risen presence of Christ. Thousands and millions will testify to the to the to, to the reality of Jesus Christ in my life. I was a young pastor, fresh out of seminary. When a fire ripped through a home, the evening before Easter Sunday. The husband died in the fire. Uh, and his wife and his mother-in-law were seriously burned. My phone rang at seven o'clock Easter Sunday morning to alert me to the tragedy. And I had my first tragedy to face as a young pastor, to go to the hospital first thing in the morning to share with the loved ones that, 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 to, that her husband had passed away. And she said, I, I knew it, nobody was telling me, but I, I just knew that he, that he was gone. Then being ready for, for Easter Sunday service with all the guests that would be there on Easter Sunday, and my mind was racing, and I remember I taught a Sunday school class and, and then, then, then went to share the announcements in the worship service and read the scripture and uh, preach the, the sermon. And I'll tell you, this young pastor was uh, a bit emotionally overwhelmed. But that Easter Sunday, I will never forget. Because Jesus came. And he put his arms around me as I preached. He gave me his presence. As perhaps I had never experienced it before. And when I left the pulpit that Sunday morning, I knew in my heart, only God, only God. He was the only one that could give me what I needed in that hour. Oh, he's not dead. He's not dead, and I knew it. He's very much alive because I experienced it anew and afresh on that Easter Sunday. Christianity is the only religion in the world that promises this kind of thing. That when you gather, the risen Christ will will be among you and, and make himself known through the Holy Spirit to everyone in that gathering. He talks to us, the doubters, the people who have sinned, which is all of us, the people who have committed great mistakes, and to anyone and to everyone who's willing, we can all hear him, and we can all know him. You know, I'm so confident that this is true that I'm going to ask you to check it out. Uh, If you don't believe that, check it out with God. For the next 30 days. I want to just challenge you right now to make a commitment. And this is between you and God. Some of you uh, have a need that you, you, you need to have met. You're as overwhelmed as I was on that Easter Sunday years ago. And you need God to visit you. So I challenge you to go to church. It doesn't have to be this church, just any church that's close to your home and that preaches God's word. I'm asking you to go to church for the next four Sundays, next 30 days, four Sundays straight. And whatever church you walk into, when you sit down, just say, I would really like if the risen Christ would make his presence known to me today. I would really like it if the risen Christ would make his presence known to me today. I would really like it if this need that I feel so deeply in my life could be addressed by a power greater than my own. Test God in this. See if anything happens. You come back and tell me about it. I would love to hear the stories. Come in humility. Come with a teachable spirit as you open your heart to uh, to him and just ask him to speak into your life. The fact is that Christ has been raised from the dead. Secondly, remember what Paul said, and if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you're still guilty of your sins. The resurrection means that my past can be forgiven. There's a great verse in Colossians that says, God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. Jesus never intended us to live a whole life with our life weighed down by our guilt and shame. And none of us need to be told that we've made mistakes. We know it. You don't need me to tell you that. We all know it inside of us. We feel it. The regrets of life stack up higher and higher. But that's not God's heart that we have to carry that awful load day in and day out. Paul says in Ephesians 1.7, He is so rich in kindness and grace that He purchased our freedom with the blood of His Son and forgave our sin. He purchased our freedom and He forgave our sins. You know, uh, back in the day when everyone used typewriters, uh, there was a little thing called Whiteout. You can still buy it. Whiteout isn't perfect. But if you made a mistake on the typewriter, you'd have to kind of flip the paper up a little bit and then dab it with the whiteout, blow on it to dry it off, and then put it back in, crank it back in. And then you could type right over it as if the mistake had never been made. Some of you had never heard of this before. When electric typewriters came along, some genius invited something even better than whiteout. It was called the self-correcting typewriter. Now, wouldn't it be great if someday down the road somebody invented self-correcting people? Wouldn't it be cool if, if you could be married to a man or a wife who just would self-correct? And you know, when you say, oh, you're just like your father. Ooh, 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 oops. Bring that back. Stroke it out. You never heard it. Wouldn't it be great if, if every child came into the world with self-correcting technology? Oh, it'd be awesome. But the human race isn't self-correcting. I think we've learned that. In fact, we're self-destructing. Uh, but in His grace, God gave us one of the most incredible inventions, the gift of forgiveness. In a way that's more powerful than whiteout. At the cross, Jesus not only covered sin, he also absolves it. He pays the penalty for it. And he removes it as far as the East is from the West. And friend, today, he wants to forgive your past. He would love to. He wants to cancel every debt you owe, every debt of sin, every debt of regret, every debt of shame. He doesn't want you to go through life trudging along with that load because He would love to forgive you. Just ask Him. He gives a new start. And I can't think of any better news in the world than that. So the implications of the resurrection are huge. We don't have time to say all of the things, but the presence of Christ with us every day. His his power to navigate life his his strength to get us through the hard parts of the journey. His forgiveness. Oh, and his peace. What a beautiful peace that he gives to us as we journey through life. And his promise of eternal life. This morning I'm going to invite you to pray a prayer with me. It's a different kind of prayer, because I don't want you to close your eyes. And I, I don't want you to bow your head. I want you to keep your eyes wide open, and I want you to read the prayer uh, because it will be up on the screen, and I want us to confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus Christ. I want us to read this prayer aloud wherever you are in your spiritual journey. It's an Easter prayer. It's a prayer of acknowledging the truth of the resurrection and having Jesus be my Savior and my Lord, So please stand with me, and let's read it aloud uh, together. Read it with me, please. Dear Jesus, today I believe you proved you are God by coming back to life. I ask you to forgive my sins that you died for on the cross. I receive your Holy Spirit into my life to empower me. I commit to live the rest of my life for your purposes. I want to share your message of love with others. And I trust you to take me to heaven when I die, not because of my goodness, but because, Jesus, you died for me and rose again. Thank you for your love for me. Amen. You prayed that prayer this morning, and it was the prayer of your heart if you hadn't haven't already known Jesus Christ through the years then i just invite you if that's a prayer that is new for you that to tell someone i prayed that prayer what does it mean for my life and you could come to the front there are people who will pray with you at the close of the service this morning and they will encourage you and and they will just bless you as you as you begin a new journey of faith Uh, on this Easter Sunday so just come and tell them I prayed that prayer this morning let's pray together Father what a day what a day 2,000 years ago you raised your son from the grave you changed the direction of the whole world you brought into this world hope and forgiveness and purpose and eternal life So, Lord, thank you. We celebrate today the resurrection of your Son, Jesus Christ. And with much thanksgiving, Lord, we say to you, thank you for paying the awful price of the cross, but thank you uh, as well for being who you claim to be, the Son of God, that you rose again from the dead. So give us eyes to see and ears to hear so that the Easter message truly transforms us. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen.